the Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, you are listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, discussing all things relating to responsible investing. I am Amanda Young, and today's guest is my colleague, Dan Grandage, who is our Global Head of ESG for our Private Markets Investments. In his role, Dan represents the firm on a number of internal and external industry bodies, including as a board member of the UK Better Building Partnership. Now, Dan has been with the firm since 2013, where he joined as head of ESG for real estate and was promoted to lead ESG for the wider private markets business in 2020. Now, before joining Aberdeen Standard Investments, Dan was an associate director WSP Group, where he had responsibility for the sustainable real estate team delivering practical sustainability and cost-saving solutions for investors. Now, Dan also worked for RPS Consultants, where he focused on the environmental management of corporate mergers and acquisitions. Dan holds an MSc from the Urban Geoscience from Manchester University and a BSc in Environmental Geology from Sheffield University. Now, outside of work, Dan is married with two kids. Um, And interestingly, he met his wife on a remote island in Indonesia during a career break to go traveling. Now, his powers of persuasion are clearly great as she left her beautiful coral-fringed island to move to rainy Manchester. I was also intrigued to learn that Dan has an interesting family tradition. All the male line carry the name Hunter as their middle name, a tradition that has gone back for generations. Now, Dan's dad told him it was because they were related to the famous Edinburgh Hunter doctors famed for their pioneering work on anatomy. But on further investigation, Dan discovered that whilst they were indeed related to an Edinburgh-based doctor called Hunter, he was, in fact, not famous at all, rather infamous. He had ended up in a penal colony in disgrace. So no matter what, Dan thought uh, he would continue the tradition and carried on passing the name down to his kids. Now, Dan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Amanda. That's uh, quite some uh, <laughs> quite some welcome there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice to have you. And perhaps we can start with your journey of how you got into uh, ESG or responsible investment, um, as well as your current role, how that's evolved to move beyond real estate and encompass private markets and the investments that that falls into. Yeah. Um, so... As you've kind of just walked through my my CV, you can see there's a there's a theme running through there that I've I've been involved in well environmental I suppose rather than ESG since university and, and actually my A level was in in geology as well so I've actually been thinking about uh, the natural environment I suppose all the way through my career. As I said, I've 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 been involved in that field since before it was called ESG and before probably it was certainly before it was cool. Um, and um, so I joined, um, well, what was Aberdeen Asset Management in 2013 and was, was supporting a real estate team with integrating what we at that point called sustainability. Um, it, that name itself has evolved to, to ESG more recently. And, and I've been supporting those investment teams since that point. And then uh, last year, is, again, as you touched on, my role broadened out to cover private markets so that actually includes real estate, infrastructure, um, private equity, and various other strategies in between. 
and and actually it, it's kind of the culmination of my whole career in, in one role because actually throughout the sort of 15 years prior to ASI, I was um, involved in the early part of my career was actually involved in co- corporate mergers and acquisitions from a private equity funding perspective. So I was on site doing sort of environmental due diligence assessments. I then moved into infrastructure and then transitioned into real estate, which is where I spent most of my career. So to come to have the role expanded across all of that is um, is, is nice to have that kind of full view of of all private private markets in um, investment. So yeah, it's kind of a nice circular journey, really. It is. It's fascinating. Um, what I'm really keen to get a, a sense of is what the key areas of similarity across all of these different private markets asset classes. Um, or do you find ESG factors within real estate differ significantly from from other areas? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So I think if you think about it as real assets first, so if you think about real estate and infrastructure and, and natural resources as well to an extent, um, in that context, there, there is quite a lot of similarity, from possibly because our investment strategies are typically direct, so we have much greater control mm-hmm. within those strategies. And and when I kind of reflect on, let's say, equities, the ability to control yep. within a real assets um, environment is is so much so much larger. You know, because we we directly own it, we're sitting on the boards or we own the own the building. If we want to change something, we just do. <laughs> so we can <laughs> we have the ability to actually make a, a direct change and actually see it, and we can actually change the asset, um, whatever it might be. So if it's a building, we can make it better and perform better. Yeah. Um, or if it's a, an oil pipeline, we can work with the operating company so that maybe they're not transi- uh, piping oil any any longer and they move to, I don't know, biofuel or, bi- or bioenergy. So there's, there's a real ability to affect change from that sense. I think once you move out of the real assets, there is a difference. So, uh, you know, private equity probably not su- surprisingly looks similar to, to to listed equity. It is companies when all said and done. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge across all of it is the private. It it is so diverse. It's so illiquid, <laughs> and getting data yeah. is really hard. You know, we don't have an MSCI or Sustainalytics. Mm-hmm. So we have to build up our own data set through bottom-up research, which is very different than obviously what you'd find in equities or fixed income. Yeah. I think what's interesting though is is when you when you do mine that data source, if you like, and you do get a, a flow of data, actually your ability to um get really quite granular and accurate data is far greater than you'd find on the public side because it's coming from source. The challenge is is kind of getting to it in the first place. But once you've unlocked it, you you have this much greater wealth of data, so it, it's it's an interesting challenge, but it it is definitely um, different, I think. But it's yeah. So if we get maybe into a specific topic, net zero, it's a growing hot topic for the responsible investment industry as a whole, um, and one of the the reasons is because there is actually quite a lot of data, particularly for the the public market space. But perhaps you can articulate what net zero actually means, particularly for these private and real assets we own? Yes, that's a nice, easy question, isn't it? Trying to explain and articulate net zero. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the clues in the title, it means net zero. And we're not, it doesn't mean zero carbon. That's a really important point because some people have that in their mind. 
what it is essentially saying is we're trying to balance the the emissions on the one hand and the removals on the other hand so we have a net position and this works particularly well in a portfolio so let's say you have a portfolio of of buildings of real estate you will have some that would be performing better than others so at a portfolio level you can have a net net perspective and just to kind of bring that um to life from a real estate perspective in a building we will have carbon associated with the fabric so concrete and steel there's there's, there's uh, carbon associated with that so we need to include that in our kind of carbon account if you like and then we have the energy supply to the building which this is where it starts to get slightly challenging as well because sometimes we as a landlord will have control of that energy so we're procuring that on behalf of the occupiers so we have that data so that's fine um, but sometimes we don't sometimes a tenant has their own supply contract we don't have access to that data so we have to either estimate it or ask very nicely because we have no legal right to that data so we have to work with them and engage with them to get that so that needs to be clued, included in the in the negative pot if you like um, and then on the positive side, i.e. the removals, you know, there are activities like making a building more efficient, transferring to green energy supplies. Can we install solar panels on the roof of the building to, to kind of offset, if you like, the, the, the emissions? And then finally, once you've looked at all of that, we're finding that typically there is a pot of what we call residual emissions. So emissions which can't be removed through all those activities I mentioned. That's when we have to start looking at something like forestry so how can we remove carbon from the atmosphere through other activities so we're looking at going can we can we effectively own manage forestry with the express intention of removing carbon from the atmosphere and then can we then encapsulate that within our carbon fund level carbon account so that's kind of what that means in a real estate perspective um and we've developed a um a global approach so that we're trying to transition our entire real estate portfolio to net zero by 2050. But even within that broader commitment, every fund is moving at a different speed. Some of them are going to be setting earlier dates than that and having slightly different scope. So yeah, so there's a lot going into that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, one of the things that's really impressed me uh, within the real estate team that you were heavily involved in was the development of the real estate impact dial. Can you tell us a little bit about what this actually means and about its conception? Yeah, so it actually came out of an idea of something when I was, before I was working for Aberdeen Standard, it was actually when I was a consultant, it was an idea I came up with when I was working probably about 10 years ago. Um, and I've always had this, uh, no one wanted to buy it actually, so I never managed to sell this idea, but um, <laughs> it was this concept that I've been, been thinking about for a number of years. And really, very simple, it's about the idea of trying to score the ESG performance of every asset. So in this case, real estate. So what's, yeah. what's the ESG performance of the asset? And um, to do that, we have 21 material ESG indicators, and then we score across all those different indicators on a sliding scale, basically from bad to, to good. Um, but we used a, um, a global approach called the Impact Management Project, where they have this framework called ABC, which goes from the um, uh, avoiding harm on, the one, on, on one level to benefiting stakeholders to contributing solutions. So, so the contributing solutions is the good, if you like. And, and we just translated that. The so outcomes, sustainable the outcomes. outcomes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
so that we then can score every asset across all those dimensions. But the key part is actually engaging with our clients as well. So understanding at a fund level, what do they want? What, what outcome do they want from an ESG perspective? Because we found that some clients are wanting you know, to really focus on climate change and carbon, for example. Others actually are more, more interested in some human capital aspects, so labor rights and, and, and those kind of diversity issues. So we've, we're trying to structure the fund to deliver against that so we can score the funds in, in aggregates across all those dimensions. We have a fund target and we can score each asset, both how it is today, but also if we were to change that, because this is real estate and we can change things, what's the target for three years so that we then know how is it today? What would it be like tomorrow? And actually, how is that going to contribute to the client's outcomes of what they want or targeted outcome? And it's, it's a really useful way of, of thinking about this. You know, how, you know, we've had some really interesting conversations with clients who, because we've, we've put it on this scale, they're, they're starting to think about, okay, well, if I do this, how is that going to start affecting returns? If I, if I turn the dial too far, is that going to affect my overarching investment performance? And, and, and so it's, it's really interesting to, to help them visualize what we're trying to deliver for them. Um, but it's also really useful as well because we can, we've weaved this in all the way through the investment process. So from a fund strategy perspective, all the way through to how we're actually buying and selling assets to the plans we have for the assets, we use the impact dial as that kind of overarching tool to help us keep on track to make sure we're always delivering at the, uh, the client outcomes. It's always been one of the things that I've been really impressed with. So a huge well done for getting that established. Um, now, it's at this stage of my podcast that I like to explore what inspires our guests. Um, many of our guests have given us some great books to read or films to watch. Now, I believe you have a person that has inspired you. So perhaps you can tell me a little bit about him. Yes. So this is it's quite a funny one, really. Funny, strange, not funny. Haha. Um, so <laughs> it's actually my, my um, A-level geology teacher, Mr. King. Um, uh, he. Oh, Mr. King, he is now yes, famous. Chris King, if you're out there, <laughs> you inspired me. But see, he was, he was my geology teacher, um, I, yeah, as I said, when I was studying my A-levels. And he introduced me to the concept of, um, sort of the, well, climate change, although it wasn't really called that, it was more global warming and the greenhouse gas effect. He lent me a book to read to explain oh, yes. it. And it really just, uh, I joined Greenpeace as a result of that. And it just sent me on, my whole career has kind of come from that conversation with him. So I, I, I guess I can't talk about myself and my career without mentioning him and giving a nod to him. And a thank you, I guess. And do you remember what the book was called? I think it was called The Greenhouse Gas Effect. <laughs> it was not very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I've still got it. Maybe I should dig it out and find it for you. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to know what's changed since you, since you initially read it. So, I, I think some of the science might have moved on a little bit since then. <laughs> Now, um, we're drawing to the end of our time together today. So, Dan, perhaps we can touch on what the future holds. So what do you see as the most significant change coming over the next few years for the private markets business? That's an interesting question. Um, for me, for, well, from an ESG perspective, I think the private markets strategies, I think we're going to see maturity in their uh, on their ESG journey, I think it's fair to say ESG has traditionally been more focused on the public markets and, and mm -hmm. to an extent real estate. And I think the wider private markets 
a little bit more nascent in their journey. And I think we will really start to see that taking hold in more investor questions, more investor um, interest and more products being developed. And as I mentioned right at the start, I think within private markets, there's a, there's a genuine ability to deliver sustainable outcomes, really quite explicit sustainable outcomes. So I think we'll see more of that and more maturity and more ability to report more data. And I think also we'll see the growth of private markets as well, to be honest. I think, um, again, reasons as well, we'll see more private markets and investments per se. Um, and the two, two aspects together, I think, mean it's a, it's a really interesting and bright future as we move towards this more, um, more integrated world, but also more, more ESG coming into that as well. So yeah, those, those are the things I think will come in and I, I'll talk about carbon very briefly as well. I think, um, as we start to think about carbon, net zero carbon, I think that's really going to affect the way we're starting to invest. Um, and I think it, it's potentially going to be transformational in the way we're thinking about how, what we, what we buy and sell and hold mm-hmm. and so I, i'm really intrigued to see how that plays out in the market as we go forward so absolutely and how it affects the actual value of, of the assets that we own um exactly so. exactly dan it's been absolutely delightful to have you with us today and it's really nice to talk about an asset class where you can have direct impact so thank you very much for giving us your time no problem at all it's been a pleasure to be here You've been listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, aiming to bring you insights into all things responsible investment. Now, to all those who have taken time to tune in, really many thanks for listening to us, and you can find all our previous podcasts on our website. Until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation, or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.